hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein. This is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and welcome back to our new show format. We have revamped. We are a magazine-type show now. We have departments in our show. <laughs> You're back to the department. So excited. We have segments. We do. We have cooking tips. We have what makes us happy. We even have some interviews. So this is a great new format for us, and we hope you really enjoy it. And what's up first, Mark? Our first segment is about Zillow Research. Zillow Research. You're buying a new house and you didn't tell me. No. <laughs> is it a birthday present? No, not Does so it have much. a big backyard? Yes, it does. How many bathrooms? Uh, one. Oh. Oh. It's mine. <laughs> it's mine. I call it. I call it. Okay. Zillow Research put out a list of the top 10 house upgrades recently. And they kind of, uh, you know, did their research about what makes a house sell for more money. And we all know that the housing market is really hot. And what I found interesting about this is the bulk of them, six out of the 10 items in Zillow were about the kitchen. And we want to talk through what Zillow said about what works in a kitchen. Now, I have to tell you two more of the home upgrades were about bathrooms. We're going to skip that. One was about garage doors. Replace yours if they're gross. Wait, putting a garage door in a bathroom? No. One was about the garage door in your house. Oh, so we want to talk about our experiences with some of these upgrades because we have done some upgrading over the years. And uh, so what did we do first? What was one of the first things we did? Well, I should just say that first up, three of the upgrades that Zillow recommends are all about kitchen countertops. And it kind of makes sense because buyers see those countertops first and what are the three countertops that are preferred what Zillow says is you should be looking at quartz you should be looking at marble or you should be looking at butcher block okay so here's what our experience is we moved into a house in very very rural New England long ago it had gross whatever they were laminate cabinets. oh it had white laminate counters yeah. with chips along the edges yeah, and it was really disgusting so we took that out and we put in granite and oh, I oh what I'm, a mistake <laughs> I want to tell you that if oh. I ever buy another house and it has granite countertops I'm going to tell them they have to rip those out before I buy the house I mean, if I make I, an offer I know people love granite and like they, you look at housing they're like ooh granite countertops and they're very beautiful they are but if you use your kitchen you don't want granite granite chips granite cracks granite scratches it does it doesn't for most people but we essentially because of 34 cookbooks we essentially run a professional kitchen and granite just does not hold up it rings it pits it it, you have to constantly keep it clean to keep that shine on it. It's really a mess. There's and a reason restaurant kitchens don't have granite exactly, anywhere near them. Exactly. So that's our experience with granite. If, I'm sure you might have beautiful granite counters. But again, we essentially run a professional kitchen half the year in our kitchen. And it just doesn't hold up. So we built a new prep pantry and we put butcher block one of zillow's recommendations into this new prep pantry that we remodeled this year i love the butcher block and uh, yes you can cut directly on it but i don't like to do that because then you get the knife cut marks which i don't want so i still use cutting boards but the thing i love about the butcher block is besides it being beautiful if you get a stain on it you can actually take a little sandpaper mm. and all you got to do is wipe it and off it comes and then you just give it another coating with your mineral oil or your beeswax mineral oil. It seals it up. It shines it up. I love the butcher block. And I think that's something that people may not know about butcher block is that it does require sealing with mineral oil. I mean, you have to keep that up on a ra rather constant basis. Otherwise, the 
but the butcher block gets rough, it gets ragged, it gets ugly. It gets stained. It gets yeah. stained. All the mineral oil is the upkeep on it. So butcher block as one of their counters is interesting because it actually requires a little more effort than you might expect. It does. Well, one of their other um, upgrades is marble, which I find really interesting because I have the same problem with marble that I do with granite mm-hmm. is that it chips and it stains. Mm-hmm. Uh, marble is absolutely stunning um of course most pastry chefs work on marble and it's important that it exists as a pastry chef counter because of course it's cold and marble is notoriously cold even when you have the heater running your marble counters will still feel cold to the touch so in the middle of the summer when you're really hot just take off your clothes and lie down on your counters oh nice because marble is also a good slab for funerals um so (laughs) pastry chefs love it i wouldn't have it and my other problem is we have quite a lot of dinner parties in our house and marble is no tour and people stand around the kitchen and marble is notorious for picking up wine stains particularly red wine stains and you know we have a lot of people in the kitchen putting glasses down during a dinner party standing around talking i mean so it just wouldn't work maybe as a backsplash it would work for me so their third countertop that they say is the best is quartz do you have any thoughts about that about quartz well we have in that new prep space we built we put a quartz sink and i really like it it doesn't stain Mm -hmm. it it has a stone quality Mm -hmm. it's easy to maintain Mm -hmm. this one is black and these are usually quartz composite right right they're not just taking a giant piece of quartz and chiseling (laughs) a sink out of it Uh, these are ground up quartz with other materials that's a composite right um they're expensive but they really stand up and last so Given the fact that this one is not chipping or cracking when I drop heavy pots in the sink, that a quartz counter would be really a nice thing. Okay, so I was not involved in the pantry remodel. It was Bruce's project. So (laughs) tell me, that quartz sink, was it heavy? It actually is not terribly heavy because it's the composite. I mean, look, it's not light. It's pretty thick. It's, you know, we have a stainless steel sink in the kitchen. I think it's heavier than that. But, of course, the stainless steel is not so thick the quartz sink is pretty thick it was a good quarter it's, inch it, at least but it's lighter than a marble sink would be. oh my goodness a marble sink can you imagine how heavy a marble sink well would be? there are because people do put those farmhouse marble sinks into their kitchens wait that's your modern farmhouse yeah <laughs> so yeah that that's right I, again I just want to say that we essentially work our kitchen really hard. We're hard on the floor. We're hard on the cabinets. We're hard on the counters because essentially, you know, in any given day when cookbooks are being written around here, 10 to 12 recipes may be being developed and cooked in a kitchen each day, day after day after day. It's a lot of pans being thrown around a lot of cooking, a lot of, you know, you're tired, you forget, you spill, I don't know, tomato sauce all over the granite, then you forget, you kind of wipe it up, but you forget to really clean it the way you're supposed to the next day. Acid and granite are a bad combination. Yeah, the next day you notice a little pitting around the edge of that stain on the granite. I mean, it's a thing, and we're really hard on it. So another upgrade that Zillow recommends is a professional faucet. Oh, faucets are so important. First of all, It is like one of the first things people see when they walk into your kitchen. It's going to be a faucet. The way a faucet works is so important to you. Do you want it to pull out? Do you want it to be stationary? Do you want to be able to move it? But you have to think about something that looks nice because people are going to see that first. I think what they're talking about is is the kind of faucet that moves, right? That comes out of its hinge when they say an upgraded faucet. Don't you think that's what they're thinking about? I'm thinking that they're probably talking about spending a little more money. You could spend five and six 
hundred dollars on a faucet. Yeah, easy. I mean, good faucets are expensive, and so you want to get one that has good flow. You want to get one that's going to last. You want to get one that's not going to rust up inside. And then you have to think of aesthetics. Yeah, you do. So here's another upgrade that Zillow recommends that I was shocked. By and actually, this was their number one upgrade was homes with steam <laughs> ovens. It's so funny. We have cousins who live in Tel Aviv, and they just bought a brand new apartment, and they're building the kitchen. And he wrote me and said, "Okay, so the contractor's saying we need to put a steam oven in. What do you think?" I mean, I don't really know how they cook on a day-to-day basis. I would have a steam oven, but to me, a, a true steam oven only cooks with steam. It doesn't have other heating elements. And a lot of these steam ovens that people are putting in now are actually called combi ovens, combination right. ovens, right. where they have steam and other heating elements. We had one. We had one for a while, and it was Bruce's favorite stove, and then we gave it away for various reasons, which we shall not get into. <laughs> we gave away this stove that Bruce loved so much, and it had a combi steam oven. It did. For, and it was best for bread baking and for muffin baking and for baked goods because you could pour the water into a reservoir that would then slowly disperse steam as bread rows and all that kind of stuff. Bruce loved that oven. And we had that combi steam oven long before they got popular. We did. But the one thing it didn't do is it didn't just pure steam cook. I couldn't just like put a fish in and stuff it with ginger and scallions and drizzle it with soy sauce and a little Chinese wine and let it steam cook. There wasn't enough steam for that. The upgrade to a steam oven, I think it will increase the value of your house because it has this prestige and this thing like, oh, I'm getting such a fancy thing. But if you don't know how to use it, or if you're not familiar with it, or if you don't really love to cook, you're not going to get the most out of it. I still think that they are the coming wave. And I think that the combi ovens particularly are absolutely on the cutting edge. We talked in a previous episode about how we are okay changing with the times with our books and how we don't mind latching on to trends. Maybe we should think about the combi steam oven cookbook. We should. And the final upgrade in this bit from Zillow is counter space for gadgets. And I think this is really important because the modern home is becoming more and more gadget oriented in the kitchen. Instant pots, air fryers, countertop steam ovens, mixers, big old KitchenAid mixers. And remember in the old day when the first KitchenAid started to come out, people complained about the amount of counter space and how much counter space they took up. I remember in New York when we lived in a very small (laughs) kitchen space when we lived in Manhattan, the KitchenAid mixer was in the pantry because it just couldn't be out on the counter. It took up all the counter available when it came out. So the trend is more counter space so that you can have these appliances out. And quite honestly, I'm, I think we're done with those appliance garages yeah, where you I think so. lift up the door and you find all the hid appliances hidden, sort of recessed into the wall. People want them out. They're going to use them more. And also, they don't fit the modern appliances. I mean, most of those appliance garages aren't big enough to fit. Bruce just got an, an instant brand's Omni. It was an Omni. The right? Omni Plus um, air fry. Okay, you just got this giant thing, and I looked at it, and I thought, wow, if you lived in the city, that thing is going to eat up counter space. That thing is big. It's great for air frying lots of things, but wow, you need counter space for these things. So counter space is one of the upgrades that everybody's going for. Okay, so that's our first segment on Zillow Research. Let's move to our second segment. It is our one-minute cooking tip. Okay, here we go. Quickly, go to your spice cabinet, throw out all your old spices. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And, uh, well, Mark, segment, why don't you explain? This segment sponsored by Penzies. <laughs> why don't you explain what I mean by old? 
<laughs> well, if your spices are over a year, a year and a half, and two years old, please get rid of them. My 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 great aunt had paprika from I don't know the depression. The Kaiser gave it to her. Yeah, probably. And she would sprinkle it on deviled eggs. And as I always said, she used the most interesting red coloring agent because it had no flavor because it had been sitting on the back of her stove for five thousand. Oh, that's years. the other thing. Don't keep your spices mm. on the stove mm. or anywhere near it. Mm. They'll die even faster. Spices have a shelf life. They have essential oils that give them their flavor. Yep. Those dry up, those disappear, they're volatile, they go away. If you open a bottle of oregano and it doesn't smell instantly like oregano, you have to throw it away because it's not going to taste like oregano. So if, you've, if it's more than a year and a half old, get rid of your spices. And now I want to take a minute to please ask you to subscribe to Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Share this podcast with your friends. Tell everybody about us and rate us. We love good ratings. And connect with us on our Facebook group. Before we get to the interview part of this episode of our podcast, let me remind you that there is a Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Lots of fun to be had there. Lots of interaction with people. It's um, a little bit irreverent and a little bit fun and lots of posting about recipes that people are doing. So check that out, the Facebook group. Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And now let's move on. Okay. Segment three Mark is doing the interview this week. In this interview segment on Cooking with Bruce and Mark, we are talking to Devony Vickery Davidson, and she is the YouTube celebrity behind YouTube channel Sassy Spoon. Hi, Devony. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Uh, give me a little bit about your background in food. I started in food when I lived in Atlanta. I was pretty young. I was in my early 30s and I was doing catering for our church and they let me use their professional kitchens for other things if I wanted to. And they had a really nice facility and it was right downtown close to where I needed it. So I started a catering company and catering in a way is a really easy way to get into the food business because you usually know how much you're going to have, how many people you're going to have, what they're going to eat, you know, that kind of stuff. You don't have a lot of waste. Uh, it's true. I'm, I'm only laughing because of I, I can see a thousand caterers saying, oh my God, this is the easy way to get into the food <laughs> business. But you mean as opposed to a restaurant in which you're literally on guesstimates about yes. how much you have to have in the house. If I did a restaurant, it would have quite a varied menu. I know myself. I can't control myself. And so it, I would end up with a lot of leftover stuff. So anyway, I became friends with a girl whose brother used to be the quarterback. For the Atlanta Falcons. Correct. I began doing private dinners for the different players and certain groups on the team. I don't know what to say. Either you had to cook a lot of food or there were a lot of dietary demands going on there. Uh, I can imagine a lot of red meat going on there is what yeah. I can imagine, but maybe I'm wrong. And I did that for about two and a half years. And then we built our kitchen that were, I used for my cooking school out in a little bit outside of town. And it had a 1900 square foot kitchen and dining area in it. Wow. 1900 square foot kitchen and dining area. I'm, I'm trying to picture it. That's, uh, that's well, you've a, seen my big table. I have, I should say that I've been to Devonie's house when she lived in Charleston and she had a gigantic dining room table. So I taught um, in the house, it was called Dinner Party Cooking School. And we'd have up to 14 people because my table's that big. We would sit around, do all the prep and cook and everything. And I had an assistant that helped clean all, as we were going. And then um, we would have class. So I would do those two times a week. Oh. 
It was a lot of work. And then you get these women that come and they start drinking. Well, I had a rule. You can't drink until the knives are finished. As soon as we put the knives up, they started in. And some of them would get so drunk that they didn't pay attention to the rest of the class, you uh, know, and we had to come in and help them and do it for mm-hmm. them. But they had a good time. Bruce, <laughs> so. Bruce and I cooked for years. Uh, we did cooking shows on Holland America cruise ships. And it was always a problem of helping people understand that the minute the ship starts rocking or the minute they feel slightly queasy, you must put the knife down. It's always a challenge, I think, in cooking schools. And it's uh, when Bruce and I teach cooking schools, I'm always shocked at how much work it takes just to prep the event, to get the event ready for the people to arrive. It's it's a long process to get the room even ready. It's a lot of work. Uh, cooking schools are a lot of work and YouTube videos are a lot of work. So tell me about your YouTube channel, The Sassy Spoon. I do all my own editing, filming, everything by myself. <laughs> <laughs> that I, that does seem to be the YouTube model is to do everything yeah. for yourself. I mean, I know there are a lot of places out there that will handle the channels for you, but most people who are doing it are just doing themselves. What kind of challenges are there to doing it by yourself? Some things you can, you know, think you recorded great and then you go back and play them and they aren't great. So I have to go back and redo the whole thing. Like, for instance, if I'm sauteing something a certain way or using the air fryer a certain way and somehow I mess up in the filming part, of it, like camera goes crooked or, you know, all kinds of things happen. A dog barks, you know, all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, dog barks. Um, but I think. Some people yeah. like that kind of stuff in YouTube, don't they? I mean, some people think it's kind of authentic. Well, that is true. That's true. I do leave a lot in, but sometimes I'm kind of picky about things. But yeah, my dog, um, she knows I'm making food there. And you can see her in the back <laughs> laying down by herself. That doesn't bother me. Recently, I started only posting once every 10 days. I used to post every three days. And I notice when I post every 10 days and that video is new and on top for a while, it actually gets thousands more views than if I just come in with another one right after it. And it's the same thing in podcasting. Uh, you can oh, you can flood the, the zone and flooding the zone is always considered bad because the algorithms miss you uh, by that point. And uh, it's just a thing. We used to record two episodes of pop at uh, on cooking with Bruce and Mark now we're once a week, which seems the right amount for us. And we drop on the same day consistently. And it's all that consistency thing that seems a part of it. How do you choose what you're going to put up on the sassy spoon? Well, I'm inspired by different equipment, like instant pot, air fryer, um, my griddle. And my goal is I want to travel around a couple of days here, a couple of days there, and places where I have friends who cook, like when Matt comes see you. Oh, well, and Bruce, all the way up to New England. And then have you on my show. You know, it, that's what I want to do. Show local produce, local people, um, things like that. It's literally my passion. Tell me what else you're up to besides the Sassy Spoon. I have a pottery company. I've been a potter for 20 years. Wow. I started in a college program and just kept working through it. And most of my work has evolved into hand-sculpted oyster platters. And I have sold some to restaurants in Charleston as well. Uh, so I sell those. And then I also sell other pieces that I hand-sculpt. How would our listeners find your pottery pieces? It's eastbaypottery.com, East Bay Pottery on 
Etsy. East Bay Pottery on Etsy and eastbaypottery.com. And that way someone can find your platters, your oyster platters, deviled egg platters, et cetera, and check them out. So, Devaney, thank you for being on Cooking with Bruce and Mark. We wish you the best of success with the Sassy Spoon on YouTube and with your pottery works. And we look forward to seeing everything that you do on YouTube in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. It's great talking to you. Great interview, Mark. Now we have some fun new cooking videos to start watching. Okay, we are moving on to segment four, which we do. What is making us happy this week? This is how it works. Neither of us knows what the other one is going to say. So we're just going to say whatever is making us happy in food this week. This is an easy segment, except we may come up with the same thing. So let's I doubt see. it very much because what's making me happy is sour raspberry ale. And I don't think that's ever going to make you happy. No, it's never going to ever make (laughs) me happy. I love sour ales because they're really good. And lately I've been into the ones that are infused with raspberry. And it's just, oh my God. Explain what a sour ale is. So a sour ale is an ale where the yeast or the bacteria used to help ferment it brings on a very sour quality to it. Um, And it adds levels of complexity. And often to balance that sourness, a lot of brewers are adding fruit. And the ones with raspberry, just to me, oh, they're so refreshing and light. And we're getting into summer, so it's my new summer drink, my sour raspberry ale. It's just not me. I mean, I really believe... Told you you were not going to have the same thing that makes you happy. I believe that beer comes in one color, and it's the color of dirt, so... (laughs) (laughs) if not a little darker. So, no, that is just not me. What's making me happy this week? We bought a ton of dates during Ramadan. (laughs) Always during Ramadan, the date farms out in California and Arizona throw Ramadan specials, and you can get giant 10-kilo boxes, 22 pounds, whatever that is, giant 10-kilo boxes of dates for very little money. And we do this every year. During Ramadan, we order our dates on Ramadan special, and we put them in the freezer. And then for the rest of the year, I dig dates out of the freezer and eat them. And they are like the coldest, most delicious caramels. Mm. Well, there's such a high sugar content that mm. they don't freeze solid. They mm. stay sort mm. of chewy and mm. soft even mm. in the freezer. Those Now, those dates that my grandmother would buy in the boxes when I was a kid, okay, those things would freeze solid because they were already hard as rocks in those stale, boxes. Stale, Gross. Dates. We're talking about big majules. We're talking about baris. Okay. If you don't know bari dates, you should look them up. Bari dates are unbelievably sweet they're round they're like little caramels and out of the freezer they get sticky and cold they're delicious we watch a lot of scandinavian tv and half the time during i don't know the third episode of the night of scandinavian dismemberment tv (laughs) i'll go upstairs and get myself four or five of these really cold dates and sit there and slowly eat them they're so delicious and let me tell you those big Chewy medjool dates are also fabulous. When you stuff them with a jalapeno, you wrap them in bacon, and you throw them in the air fryer. Okay, but what's making me happy is cold frozen dates. Hey, let us know what you think of the new format of Cooking with Bruce and Mark, and come back for more talk about food tips, what's making us happy, and interviews with great food people. We'd love you to have you back next time. And remember, we'd love a rating too. So let us know how we're doing. Thanks. <laughs>